Thanks for downloading this BGSM podcast. My name is Liam West and I'm a member of the BGSM editorial team. But you've tuned in to hear the expertise of Ebony Rio, a Melbourne-based physiotherapist who's been working hard to unlock the role of the primary motor cortex in tendinopathy. This is the second podcast in a two-part mini-series on tendinopathy, so make sure you also listen to the first episode with Sean Docking, giving the deep dive on the use of UTC in tendinopathy. So, welcome to the podcast, Ebs. Thank you for having me. Perfect. So, I'm sure most of our listeners will have had patients with painful tendinopathy that were resistant to the traditional treatment. Does your research help to explain why this might be the case? Hopefully, there's actually a lot of people's research that if you start to put it together can um, unlock why this might be the case. So first of all, we see from the great research in, in eccentrics that load remains the cornerstone of management for people with tendinopathy um, far and above any of our passive therapies. And that's both for immediate pain relief um, that we've shown with our group, but also long-term functional improvement. But loading alone, um, we see that many people have um, very resistant tendinopathy that can have pain for years, pain can develop on the other side, or um, the pain can recur. So we're probing whether or not um, the changes in the motor cortex might explain uh, why some of these tendinopathies are so recalcitrant and so resistant that perhaps our load-based interventions um, can be improved. Okay, so... What are these changes in the primary motor cortex and the uh, local motor control in the tendinopathy? Okay, so you think of motor control or the action of a muscle of being a balance between a brake and an accelerator. So we've got um, excitability and inhibition. So the excitability is like you're pushing on the accelerator and the inhibition is like you're pushing on the brake. And everything we do is a balance between those two things. So in tendinopathy, we actually see changes to both their excitability and their inhibition. And the way it's described from a a neuroscience perspective is that both of those are increased. So it's like they have one foot on the accelerator and one foot on the brake. They actually have um, quite a different profile of how they use their motor cortex compared to healthy, healthy people. Okay. Your work on tendon neuroplastic training was published recently in the BGSM. What is TNT for short, uh, and for those that haven't read the article? Okay, so um, TNT first of all is the the brilliant uh, acronym from uh, Kay Copeland, and it stands for Tendon Neuroplastic Training. And what it was trying to achieve was combine the best of what we understand about tendon um, interventions and tendon loading with some emerging neuroscience. So how can we use the... um, the, the changes to motor control and really improve our rehabilitation for people with, with tendon pain. And briefly, the best way to do that is to maintain absolute attention on the strength training task. So we used an auditory cue, so we used a metronome and we used verbal instructions. So we made a recording while people were listening to their exercise so that they could actually focus on the task and fire up lots of little parts of their brain that you don't otherwise fire up if you're just doing self-paced strength training. So is that something that you would suggest for our listeners that they try to use in the clinic? Yeah, it's really easy to do. So um, I'm not very technical, so I use two iPhones, one with a free metronome app and the other one with the voice recorder. And all I do is make a recording for my um, patients or my athletes. And so I'll talk them through what I want them to do and um, they'll listen to the metronome and I'll keep maintaining their attention on the task. This does a number of things. 
it will guarantee you the time under tension that you're looking for from the tendon and the muscle perspective. But like I said, that cueing is a vital part of changing the brake and the accelerator. So that time under tension, um, I guess, is really about the load and that's still the key part of the rehab, the tendons. Absolutely. I, I think there's lots of research by a number of people around in, in lots of the different research groups. So if you look at, you know, Sweden and, and Copenhagen and, and the amazing research groups and, of course, all the work that Jill's done over the years to really demonstrate that load remains the key intervention for um, for tendon capacity, but also the attached muscle, the whole kinetic chain. Um, we don't want to swing so far the other way and not give people the, the optimum um, strength and, and function that they need to do their task. I think it's important that we're addressing the motor cortex, but if we address that in isolation and just change excitability and inhibition, they may not still have the ability to go out and do what they need to do on the sporting field or at work. With this strength training, do you see immediate changes or is it something that we're going to be seeing with tendinopathy that takes months and months and months? Yeah, great question. So you can have an immediate change on excitability inhibition with a single bout. So we demonstrated that and we demonstrated that we could change it um, successfully over four weeks within season. And, and all of... Um, how we did that, the exact intervention is all available in the TNT paper. So the load that we use, the number of reps and sets and everything that we did. And what we're looking at now is how long that lasts for. Does it revert back to their abnormal pattern or is it a permanent change that we can make? And if we can change it permanently, does that help our outcomes long term? Okay, well, all the listeners will have to keep their eyes peered for that. But also just to quickly note that that paper that you're talking about is open access. So everyone should, that should be your homework after this podcast is to go and download that. Um, is there anything else that you think that we haven't covered here that would be useful for just one of the listeners that may be thinking in the clinic, oh, I remember a patient that's had a bit of a difficulty with their tendinopathy. Is there anything they can take home that they should be doing slightly differently? Yeah, if I can give you a little clinical tip, which I'm sure everyone will be aware of, but maybe just to bring it to the forefront of your brain again, that cross-education is really powerful. So there's some great research that shows that if you load up your unaffected side, you get some really good um, strength crossover in the order of about 20%. So don't forget the unaffected side. So we load um, single leg but don't punish your good side. So on your good side, load up as heavy as you can and you'll actually drag up your affected side a bit quicker. So we are looking for symmetry, but not symmetry in the beginning at a low level. We're looking for symmetry at the end of rehab and you'll reach that quicker if you um, get up, change your weights and, and work each side really hard independently. That's really interesting. Um, well, great Thanks. stuff. Thank you very much for sharing all your work today, Ebs. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Okay, and, and to the listener, thanks for finding the time uh, to download this BGSM podcast today. I hope it's inspired you to go back and read the full article on the tendon neuroplastic training to see how you can improve your clinical practice. As I said, it's open access. You can find other BGSM articles on the app or follow BGSM on Google+, Twitter or Facebook. I hope you have a physically active day.